Recovery Elevator, episode 108. You ever been to a party where that girl, she was always throwing up and somebody was always carrying her across her shoulder, that sloppy drunk person? That was me. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I've been sober for two years, five months, three weeks, and one day. On today's podcast, we've got Amanda. She's 35 years old. She lives in Florida, and she's been sober for 19 months. Before we get any further, let's hear from Cafe RE. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR for your first month free. Again, use the promo code ELEVATOR when signing up for your first month free. Okay, let's get started. Here are five reasons why we drink alcohol. First reason on my in-depth and comprehensive list is it appears to be the norm. Let's look at TV for a second. 71% of all primetime TV shows have context of alcohol in the episode. And then 77% of these episodes portray it in a positive or glorious manner. I read a stat somewhere, and I can't remember off the top of my head where I found it, but adults see alcohol an average of 67 times per day. That's the unconscious mind is seeing alcohol nearly 67 times per day. That number seems high, but then go a day and just tally it up yourself. If you go out to eat at night, you'll probably see it more than 20 times just that occasion alone. Watch an episode of Mad Men? Well, there's 94 in one episode alone. Go to a Christian wedding, that would be 207. Go to a Mormon wedding, that would be zero. Yeah, it appears it's everywhere. One thing that alcohol is good at is isolation. It makes me feel like I'm the only one that's not drinking. However, if you take more of an in-depth look around, not everybody is guzzling down the beer and booze like I used to do, and a lot of people aren't drinking. But that's one of the top reasons that I think we drink is that it's everywhere. It's all around us. In fact, according to National Geographic's recent publication, we've had a love affair with alcohol for over 9,000 years. The oldest firm evidence of an alcoholic beverage comes from Jiao, China. I know I said Jiao wrong where by 7,000 BC, farmers were fermenting a mix of rice, grapes, hawthorn berries, and honey in clay jars. Early Chinese emperors had bronze drinking vessels like the one pictured in the photo. Since this is a podcast and not a blog post, you can't see the photo, but you get the point. The second reason why we drink alcohol is, well, we have a genetic makeup to become addicted to it. According to Catherine Ketchum in her book Beyond the Influence, The Caucasian population has about a 10 to 12% genetic makeup to become addicted to alcohol in their lifetime. Now, it all depends on if, and that's the conditional word, if we drink. Myself, unlike my brother, had a genetic makeup. And if I drank, again, there's that word, if I drank, and binge drank a lot, I would become addicted to the highly addictive drug alcohol. Now, according to Annie Grace's book, This Naked Mind, everybody will continue to drink more and more if they start to drink. 
that 10 to 12% of the population is the people that have a high risk of become alcohol dependent. My theory on this is like males and male pattern baldness. Right now, and I don't think in my lifetime I will become bald, knock on wood. However, if we were all to live to be 500 years old, I would have zero hair at my death. And that is where I'm at after doing over 100 episodes of the Recovery Elevator podcast, is that if we all live to be 500 years old, everybody would become an alcoholic if we drank. The third reason why I think we drink, well, it's environmental. We are conditioned to believe that in our environment, we have to be doing everything with alcohol. Hey Mike, the Patriots are playing the Falcons in the Super Bowl. That ended up being an incredible game, by the way. And Mike replies with, yeah, I'll bring the beer. Hey Randy, I just got a new ping pong table. Grab the beer and come on over. Yup, tax season's coming up. Gotta get the gym bean. Hey, it's my nephew's baptism on Wednesday. Grab some Coors Light and come on over. Hey, I'm playing Third Eye Blind sophomore release at my house again for the 50th time. You get the point. Get some booze and come on over. Now, not everybody's friend circle appears to be this way, but at least in my 34 years of life on this planet, that's what it seems like to me. The fourth reason why we drink, well, alcohol is a highly addictive drug. Dr. David Nutt was hired by the British government about 10 years ago to give a harm score from 1 to 20 out of the 20 most addictive drugs in the world. Guess which came in at number one? Yeah, it wasn't crack, it wasn't heroin, it wasn't meth, it wasn't cocaine, it was alcohol. Especially when you bring in the financial wreckage and hardship that it causes others. In fact, again, according to Catherine Ketchum's book, Beyond the Influence, if you draw out the chemical structure of alcohol, it's very similar to the chemical structure of heroin. I was surprised when I read that. The fifth reason why we drink alcohol is because we have shit coping skills. You heard me say this on the previous podcast episode, but yeah, we don't have good tools in our tool belt to deal with normal life circumstances. Traffic ticket? Bottle of wine will solve that. Girlfriend left me? That's okay, because I got Stella. Stella Artois. Your boat broke down? Not a problem, because I got a new captain. It'll be Captain Morgan. You're feeling pretty low in life right now? Well, that's okay, because I got the high life. I think that's a beer. Pretty sure that's a beer that tastes like camel piss. In fact, when I look back at my coping skills when I was drinking, number one on the list would be that drinking. Number two through ten would just be blank spaces. Number eleven would be exercise. Number twelve would be strawberry shortcake. And number 13 would be an attempt, and I say a weak attempt at meditation. In 14 through 100, nothing on there. Now, my tool belt consists of 1 through 100, and alcohol isn't even on there. Mindfulness is a huge tool in my tool belt these days. Now, let me tell you what's not on the list why we drink. We drink alcohol in excess, and I can only speak for myself on that one. I drank alcohol excess, not due to a moral failing, not due to a weakness of character, I drank alcohol because I wanted to be inside my comfort zone. I was comfortable with alcohol. But then, over time, my best friend alcohol slowly turned on me. And I want this to be very clear. If you're getting down on yourself because you can't quite curtail your drinking problem or keep it under wraps, don't beat yourself up. You are against a highly addictive beast. It's a disease that tells you that you don't have a disease. In fact, I can't think of any other disease that does that. It's brutal. So do yourself a favor. Don't beat yourself up. Shower yourself with kindness. Do not beat yourself up. We are not weak people. Okay, now let's hear from Amanda. Amanda, how are you? 
I am so amazing, Paul. How are you? So amazing. Good. Good to hear. That sounds like it's already going to be an awesome interview. We're both having great starts to a day. It's 7 a.m. right here in Bozeman, Montana. I believe it's 9 a.m. You said the sun's out in Florida. I can't think of a better way to start the day than chatting with another like-minded individual. So let's jump right into this. Amanda, how long have you been sober? Right at 19 months. 19 months. Nice job. How does that feel? This is the longest I have ever been sober since I started my addiction. And it feels so great. Like I'm so proud of the person I see in the mirror every day now. That's a big one. I used to get out of the shower and I purposely would leave the fog on the shower mirror so I couldn't look at that person in the mirror. I'm not joking. And now, first thing I do, I just wipe it away and say, oh, good morning, Paul Churchill. How are you? Good looking man. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do this. Before we get to- I love it. Yeah. And before we get any further, let's, let's give listeners a little background about yourself. Maybe tell us where you're from, what you do for a living, how old are you, are you married, do you have a family, and maybe some hobbies and what you like to do for fun. All right. So I'm originally from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I'm a single mom. I have a 15-year-old daughter, 35 years old right now. I am currently a server. I had to humble myself and become a server. I can tell you more about that later, but I'm doing that job while I'm building my brand and writing my book and doing some other things. So I had to get out of Mississippi so that I could start a new life. So that's why I'm down here in Florida. I just packed up and moved. You know, I think everybody needs to work in the restaurant industry and humble themselves. I used to own a bar in Spain for three years. And oh, wow. Yeah, it was the best and the worst time of my life. But I found myself <laughs> living uh, in Seattle, working at the Northgate Mall, California Pizza Kitchen as a food runner, right? And, you know, I was calling all the shots in Spain, drinking behind the bar, you know, organizing everything, just, you know, running it. And then I'm, I'm looking at food tickets, guys. I'm like, hey, uh, we, need, we need more French fries on this plate, guys. Like, what, <laughs> right. we're, we're, we're missing a slice of pizza. It's, it, it's humbling, but it, it, helps you, it, it helps you multitask. And I think it's a job that everybody needs to do sometime in their life. And it doesn't matter what job you're doing. You, you got to do it well and do it with pride. And, and I think it's awesome you're doing that. It sounds like you're stepping up to the plate and rocking it. And let's walk, uh, let's walk back a little bit. Talk to us uh, about your alcohol did you ever put rules into place that were like, you know what? I think if I only drink after five o'clock on uh, Saturday afternoons, I think I'll be just fine. Yeah, I did. I started drinking whenever I was 16 years old. I now know that I was drinking to fill a void. But at that time, I was like, oh my gosh, I freaking love you, alcohol. I drank <laughs> Jack and Coke at first. And it was so nasty, but the feeling it gave me, I was like, dude, but I didn't know that I was going to spend 17 years in the future fighting this thing. So I think at first it was like lots of fun. You know, I'm the cool kid. I'm partying. You know, you ever been to a party where that girl she was always throwing up and somebody was always carrying her across her shoulder, that sloppy drunk person that was me <laughs> yeah i've been to a couple was... of those parties <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that was me every time i think that once i got a little bit older and i i had gotten a job at a bank and 
my rationale was like, okay, yeah, if I can wait till after five o'clock, but I was watching the clock every day, five o'clock. Yes, it's time to get off. I can finally go get some beer. That obsession of watching the clock, you know, a lot of people, a lot of the normal drinkers out there, they look at the clock and like, oh, wow, can't wait to get home with my family. Can't wait to go walk my dog, go mountain bike riding. And you and I both for a long time, we would just look at the clock and be like, any second now, I need a beer, I need a drink in my hand. And how nice is it to have that obsession lifted? Oh my gosh, it's such a freeing experience. Like those chains have been broken, you know, I I don't have to go inside a convenience store and my mouth water when I walk by the beer cooler, you know, it's an amazing experience now. Yeah. And when did you first realize that you perhaps had a problem with alcohol? I think that it was back in 2010 and I had already been drinking for quite a number of years. But this year it seemed as if one thing after another just kept happening and happening. And then when I went to jail for domestic violence towards the end of that one year, I didn't want to admit it to anybody. I would have never said it out loud, but I was like, you know what? I I think that it's a problem now, like, but I was too ashamed to tell anybody, you know? Why do you, why do you think you were too ashamed to tell anybody? Because I was always having to be, I raised my daughter by myself. So I was mom and dad and I was, I always felt I had to be that strong person. And I felt that if I admitted that I couldn't do it or I admitted that I covered everything up with beer, that I was weak. And I didn't want to seem weak to anybody because I had to be strong for my daughter and for my family. Like I just didn't show emotion, you know, and I didn't want anybody. I didn't want anybody seeing me like that vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely. And and to me, I think what's more dangerous than the alcohol itself is the stigma. And it's the stigma that leads us to our most acute moments in our pain before we reach out and get help. And oftentimes it's too late. Oftentimes our, our cars are in a ditch committed suicide and I had a uh, a failed suicide attempt in 2014 due to the stigma and due to exactly what you're talking about that I could not admit to myself that I was an alcoholic. I could not admit to myself that I couldn't control this substance where when I look left, I look right. I see that everybody appears to be drinking with impunity and talk to me about the stigma for you. Yeah, the same kind of thing. You know, I had twin cousins that committed suicide. And yeah, and I later found out one of them was in addiction, but I I didn't know, you know, and then he did it one year. And then two years later, the other one did it because he couldn't live without his brother. And yeah, it was really tough. And I'm gonna tell you what that their death and then my daughter is the only reason I didn't do it myself because I, I did take some glass and cut up my arm at one time. You know, people look at addicts or alcoholics all in the same you know but as disgusting people you know like I know for me nobody ever came to me and was like what what's really going on they were like oh my gosh I can't believe you did this and I can't believe you did that and I can't believe that you would go get some beer after church or do you know like it was always kind of nanning and pointing your finger and I just was like nobody cares you know nobody cares so why should I yeah, maybe because I was really good at hiding it. I, I don't know, but I, I, I never really had an intervention from friends, from family. And I think 
I think maybe it was just because I was hiding it. And a lot of people, it's just something that just gets swept under the rug. And it's like, oh, you know, you know Paul's just going to grow out of drinking 55 beers in one day on a houseboat and, you know, trying to make it look like we have no idea he's doing this. But it's just something right. we don't grow out of. And before we hit the record button on this, Amanda, I want to hear how you got sober. You mentioned that AA did not work with work for you. And I know that is going to resonate with a lot of people who are listening right now. I get emails all the time that are like, I don't want to go to AA. I hear the word God. I want to throw up on my mouth. How do I get sober without AA? And when you said that before we hit the record button, I was like, wow, I really want to hear this. So talk to me about how you did it. Yeah, for sure. So I, I did go to rehab and I went through the AA program. But as soon as I left, nobody called and checked on me. Nobody. I didn't feel important. Like I just felt as if and it could have just been the center that I went through. You know, I can't speak for all, but the one I went through, I left the doors and that was it. And, wow. you know, I was just like, Okay, so I got in there because nobody, I felt nobody cared. Like my parents just threw me in there. There was no sitting down talking to me. And then I come out and I still feel like nobody cares. I'm like, all right. So I stayed in my addiction for four more years after that. And when I decided that it was life or death, you know, that I had my drinking, I uh, went to meth and I lost everything. I lost everything I worked so hard for. And that I had, there was two choices. I was either about to end up in prison or I was going to kill myself. So I decided to pack up and move. And when I moved to another state, I'm not suggesting that that's for everybody, but that's what I had to do. I had to completely change my environment. But once I first moved here, I was still attracting the same kind of people. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I got super drunk and I was sitting on the street corner all by myself in this brand new city. And I didn't know how I got there. I was like, you know what? This is dumb. This is why I moved down here. So what I had to distance myself from everybody that drank, everybody that partied, I did not hang out with. And even though I didn't realize the importance at that time, I now know that you are the top five people that you hang out with. So if I'm if I'm wanting to be sober, but I continue to hang out with the same people that do the same things that I'm trying to quit, it's not going to work. So you mentioned can- the geographical cure, which which I did twice, and you know it, it doesn't necessarily cure anything. It's 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 a lot more involved into it, but that is a big part of it. I I had to literally walk away from the bar in Spain, and I'll admit my drinking did curtail a bit, just because the fact that I wasn't behind a bar slinging drinks every single night, blacking out. Um, mm-hmm. But I love how you said you are the average of the five people that that you hang out with. Whatever motivational book you read, whatever motivational speaker you will hear, you will probably hear that line because it resonates and it's the truth. And it sounds like you didn't have to change much, Amanda. You just had to change everything. Does that sound about right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pretty much. Yes, pretty much. To me, it's like living two different worlds. You know, I mean... If you want to change, you have to change things. It's just like changing your clothes. You cannot change your clothes without changing your clothes. You know what I'm saying? Like, it sounds so dumb and so simple, but it's the truth. You literally, if you want to change your life, 
you have to take the proper steps to do so. And I really found early on that I worked the mind, body, and soul. You know, whenever I took time to hang out by myself, but then I was like, okay, I, I can't be a hermit for the rest of my life. So I actually got on Google and I, and I sat down and I thought about some things that I had always wanted to do. And it took me a while because I lost myself for so long. So I came up with something. I remembered that I wanted to do mud runs and they're called obstacle course racing. So I Googled that and I found some people in the Tampa area and as scary as it was, I'm talking about, I was scared to death to reach out to new people because I didn't know how they were going to like me. But the truth is that they didn't know my past. They didn't know anything about me except what I presented to them. So I sucked it up and I went and hung out with them. And it was amazing to go hang out with some new people. But what they taught me was fitness is a huge, huge deal in my sobriety. And they introduced that world to me. And let me tell you what, running or walking or I hate working out, but I do it anyway because I realize it keeps me sober. But just taking a simple walk around the block and observing nature does so much for people trying to get sober. I highly agree with that. In Montana, we have these gale-forced winds at times. And I don't care. Like I still got to get my two mile run in. And you, I mean, I'll go longer than that if if it's not windy. But I'll just put on the layers, grab my standard poodle Ben, and be like, "Come on, Ben." Even Ben's like, "Dude, Paul, come on, no way, dude." It's, it's negative <laughs> right? ten degrees. We just like slowly, one foot after the other, have this loop that we constantly do. And you know, I don't do it for vanity reasons. I do it for the dome. I do it to feel better in the head to get those endorphins going. Yeah. You know, I want to back it up for just a little bit. And so did you do a 30, 60 or a, or a 90 day rehab clinic? Uh, no, not, not this time. I didn't. I just, I did it on my own, just taking little bits and pieces from the new things that I was learning. I was getting introduced to the motivational videos, personal development, and I was really listening to what these people were telling me. Now, before when I was in rehab, I spent 30 days in a holding cell and then 30 more days in a rehab center. So 60 days there that didn't work for me. Sure. And that was back in 2011. You know, the, the departure process of the rehab facilities, and I, I had the pleasure to go volunteer at Hope Rehab in Thailand. And I remember there was a couple of people that left when I was there and I'm talking to them and I'm like, you know, so what's the plan now? They're like, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to get on a bus and I'm going to go to Bangkok and I think I'm going to go to Phuket and check out the islands for a little bit. And in my mind, I'm like, whoa, 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 like that, that, that cannot be smart. Like you got to, you got to get on a bus, go straight to the Bangkok airport and go straight back to wherever your country is or wherever you're from. It's almost like, yeah, here's, here's your diploma. Get out there and go. And it sounds like that was the same thing for you. You just walked out the doors and we were like, now what? Right. Yeah, I didn't have a plan of action. Like, that's what I'm saying. I didn't feel as if anything changed. Like, yeah, okay, I went in there and I went to some classes and I hung out with all these women for 30 days. And I'm like, okay, now what? Now, I stayed sober this long for 30 days. That's amazing. I'm proud of myself. But now what? Now I got to go back to the same situations. Same people. Same people, because I really didn't understand that whole concept at that time. 
going back to the same job that caused me the same stress, going back to the same single mom routine, the just the same, the same, nothing changed, you know. I don't remember, maybe it's because I didn't want to remember, but I don't remember them being like, okay, let's set a 30-day plan, let's set a 60-day plan, let's write some goals down, like, what do you plan on doing with your life, what's your dreams, and you know what, the biggest thing is, I think, that helped me in my sobriety today is somebody looked at me in my eyes and told me that I had a purpose, Hmm. that I was born for a purpose, you know, and that... I had meaning to this world, and I'm like, me, really, me? <laughs> you, you, you like <laughs> you look know? behind you. You're like, are you, are you, are you talking to me right now? Yeah, like that changed my life for real. It changed my life because, and come to find out, every single person in this world that's born has a specific pers- purpose that they are born for, and they have the power to help others. Everybody does. Okay, I can see where this is leading right now. <laughs> As in, I can already hear where your purpose is, is is of helping others. And that has been a huge point in your sobriety. In fact, it sounds like it's paramount. Am I correct on that? Yeah, yeah. And absolutely. to do that, you you had to get so far outside of your comfort zone, even including running in mud with people that you didn't even want to meet in the first place, right? Yeah, absolutely. But I did it anyways, and it was so fun. So fun. And sobriety is not located inside of your comfort zone. I think I say that every other podcast is really no hopes and no dreams, no accomplishments are located in the circle of your comfort zone. And to tell you the truth right now is um, that sounds terrifying to me to do a mud run and to go on Dr. Google (laughs) And just Google a mud run and then and just basically cold call some people. Hey, you know what? Let's 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 run through some mud together. But nice job. That's awesome. And and tell listeners how important it is to get outside of your comfort zone. You have to like, you know, I was under the assumption because I had done so much damage, so broken so many relationships that the day I decided to straighten my life up, I was under the assumption that life was going to be cake. Like, just a walk in the park. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I got <laughs> I got slapped upside the gourd, you know. But it's it's constantly getting out of your comfort zone. Like, constantly. I am now involved. Though some of those same people are still in my life. I haven't done a mud run in quite a while because I've been working so hard on some other things, but I I went out in my comfort zone again and joined this online community. It doesn't have anything to do with sobriety or addiction or anything. It's a personal development community. Sure. And man, I I was so scared to death because little old me, I was think I was 6 months sober at the time and I didn't have a job. I was, I mean, I was working towards stuff. I didn't know what I was doing. And I'm joining a group where there's millionaires, there's people that has businesses and these people accepted me. And at first I was really freaked out because I told you I I had gotten on meth, which is super paranoia. And then you mix that with alcohol and it just is disastrous. But I really thought these people were too good to be true and that they 
I was like, what, what are y'all trying to do to me? Like, what is this really about? You know, but the one that I'm in is the most loving group of people I have ever met in my life. And my life has changed because of them. But if I hadn't have stepped out of my comfort zone and swallowed my pride, I know for a fact that I wouldn't be 19 months sober. Hey, well, I know that for a fact. What's the name of this? What's the name of this group? So it's called Breathe University, and it is founded by Dr. Eric Thomas, E.T., the hip-hop preacher. Okay. Was that Breed, like B-R-E-E-D, or Breathe, B-R-E-A-T-H-E? Yeah, B-R-E-A-T-H-E, Breathe University. Breathe you. Yeah, I like yeah. it. Yeah. This is my my people. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I don't go to AA meetings. I don't do sobriety groups like part of the reason is because whenever I went through the treatment center I could not get past I'm Amanda and I'm alcoholic Mm -hmm. like I just refuse to accept that label for the rest of my life you know and I'm like I'm Amanda and I'm amazing and I'm worthy of happiness and I'm gonna go after and get it so that's what these people help you they help you understand your worth. So it sounds like you surrounded yourself with other business owners, millionaires, other people doing big things in their life by getting outside of your comfort zone. And it sounds like it's paid off huge dividends in your life. And I also want to comment on the word alcoholic. You know, I call myself an alcoholic on this podcast. And I've also mentioned on this podcast that I've broken up with the word alcoholic. I'm not really too sure that I like the word because you're right. It's a label. It's, it's, it's usually, it's, it's a terminating word in a lot of sentences. It's like, Oh, it's my aunt Tracy's an alcoholic done. It's not like, Oh, my aunt Tracy's an alcoholic who also does this awesome stuff. And you don't really use the word alcoholic to describe as like a methaholic or a cigaretteaholic or a Twinkieaholic. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. It, I, I just don't think it's really conducive to recovery and especially the stigma. If we're really trying to eradicate the stigma, which is the reason why I'm doing this podcast, is to label myself as an alcoholic. You know, I am somebody who has a big time problem with alcohol if I drink again. That's a conditional statement. If, and I'm not mm-hmm. going to make a guarantee, I will never drink again. I'm not going to put myself in that position, but that is the goal. But you're right, you know, an alcoholic, that's 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 a label that I, I don't really like at all. You know, my name is Paul, and I am a freaking awesome dude. Let's just go with that one right now. I've yeah. got an awesome standard poodle dog, Ben, and we rock it. Yeah. Yes, I love it. Yeah. It, and- it's, it's exactly what you say. What you say about yourself is what you are, you know. So if you continue to say these negative things about yourself, you are that and that's how you view yourself and part of the reason i have gained the confidence that i have now is because i looked myself in the mirror even when i didn't believe it and i was like i'm amazing and i deserve to be happy just like everybody else and i deserve the best of of the best and at first, when I first started my mirror pep talking, I didn't believe it, and I cried a lot. But I kept at it, and the more I kept saying these things about myself, I'm like, one day it just clicked. I'm like, I am amazing. Oh, my gosh, I am amazing. And I'm about to do amazing things, so you better watch out, world, you know? So it's just 
I'm a firm believer in speaking life into yourself. And if you continue to label yourself in such a manner that the world has, the world's already labeled alcoholics and addicts and as, as bad people, like, no, we're good people. We just make dumb decisions, you know? Yeah. We were kind of brainwashed by billions of dollars (laughs) of advertising and Amanda, I know you've got a pump-up song, don't you? You do have a song that you just put on the headphones on, look in the mirror. And I'll, I'm going to go first on this one. I'm a little bit embarrassed, but I forget the name of the song, but it's on the Limp Biscuit. It's a, it's a Limp Biscuit song. <laughs> it's the first song uh, of the album with the Nookie. And I've got these Bose wireless <laughs> headphones. And sometimes it's like 5.30 in the morning. And I'm, I'm putting that on, walking around in my house and just doing the, like, you know, Paul Churchill watch out world because we're coming out we're coming going to come outside that door today and just watch out right what's mine, your song mine is it's a jason aldean song oh my gosh gonna know we were here i think it's called i think jason He's, aldean's sober as well right um maybe i'm not sure but i know brantley gilbert is that's okay that that's who i was thinking of and, and he's very vocal at his concerts about being sober which is really really cool but uh yeah I, th- I think those self-affirmations are key. There's a gentleman named Cameron who interviewed on this podcast in, in about a year ago, and he's still rocking sobriety. And he recorded affirmations on his MacBook Pro and, you know, like 30 minutes of stuff just with like no background music, just stuff that's like, Cameron, you're legit. Cameron, you're a cool dude. Cameron, you're going to kick some major ass today. And he would just play this every morning before you know, before he gets his day started and he's been like six time professor of the year in the state of Montana. Um, it's these affirmations cause we are amazing people. Yeah. We, we took a, we took a turn for the worst turn, you know, took a left turn, we should have taken a right, but if we can get back on track and Amanda, you and I are the lucky ones and listeners, it's, I got to tell you this right now, life is not an obligation. Life is an opportunity. And it wasn't until that I got sober, I fully recognized that and realized that. And, um, you know, not every day is I wake up and just kick ass. Some days I wake up and it's like, all right, who's going to kick my ass today? But so that's <laughs> that's just how yeah. life goes. I don't want to talk to you about your relationship with your daughter. How is that? We have had to rebuild from a bad place. I, the last probably eight or nine months of my alcoholism addiction, she stayed with my parent. I worshiped my addiction and I neglected my responsibilities as a parent. And I, I, I didn't neglect her as in I didn't feed her or anything, but I took care of all that. But when I, I, I didn't nurture our relationship and she felt like I didn't love her. So she was, she was like, bye Felicia. I'm going to go live with my Mimi and Papa, you know? Sure. And, and she did. I raised her by myself since she was six months old. So that just was like a slap in the face. Like, how could you after I did all these sacrifices? But as I'm saying these things, I got a beer in my hand and she's looking (laughs) at me like, okay, whatever, stupid, you know? (laughs) So playing Edward's 40 scissors hands right now. Tell me this stuff. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. I'm giving her this. Oh my gosh, you don't appreciate me speech. And she's like, Come on, mom. But once I moved down to Florida and got settled, she came down. So not only now am I trying to get sober, but 
now I've got a teenage daughter in my house while trying to get sober that hasn't lived with me for about eight or nine months. It was challenging at first. You know, we, we had a lot of growing to do. We, I remember one day I was so frustrated. I drove her up to the Tampa airport. I'm like, I'm going to fly you back to Mississippi. You're going back. And we have grown so much since that day. You know, we, we pushed through the hard times and we had some hard times. We had some bites, like she would take off walking down the road and I'm just like, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can do this, Yeah. you know, but, but we've made it, you know, we stuck through it and because I was bound and determined not to give up, you know, I'm, I'm not a quitter. I'm not going to give up on this. I know we're going to have some rough times. No, she's 15. So we, we have our moments, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, the relationship is beautiful now. Like it's growing. We still have a lot of room to grow, you know, but from 19 months ago, oh my gosh, it's a completely different relationship. Wow. Congratulations on that. And walk me through a typical day of Amanda. How do you stay sober? So I wake up whenever I take my daughter to school. We do the positive affirmations in the mirror together, in the car mirror, and we speak life into each other, and we list out three things that we're grateful for. First thing in the morning, I'm all sleepy. I can't even think straight, you know, but I'm grateful. I I realize that if I start my day off just listing three to five things that I'm grateful for right then in that moment, it really puts things in perspective for me for that day. So I... I take her to school and then I'll come home. Me and God are, we're tight, man. And <laughs> I, I, I know a lot of, a lot of people don't want to hear that. And I was the same way because God was the last thing on my mind trying to get sober. Like I tried to stay away from it. My dad was a minister of music growing up in a Southern Baptist church. So I had it shoved down my throat, Sure, you know, but I pray and I realized that what I learned about God and how I grew up is not actuality, you know, because God can be anything. God is everything. You know, it's not just about going to church. It's about all the nature. Like, but anyways, I don't want to get on all that scare folks, but, (laughs) um, (laughs) I make sure I work my mind, my body, and my soul. So if you feed goodness in, into your body, your mind, and your soul, you can expect to have goodness out. So I always, I don't always run every day, but I always do some kind of workout. I have a Redneck workout series too because I hate working out. So I make it fun. I show people how they can take some milk jugs and an old broom handle and make a jug pressing bar. Just it's. It's fun and it makes me laugh and it keeps me sober. So I love it. And then I, I make sure that I either read or listen to a, a personal development video on YouTube every single day. Nice. And Amanda, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Let's go. Boom. Number one, what was your worst memory from drinking? Whenever I got knocked out by a big old boy, I tried to beat up. Yep. That sounds uh, right up on top of the list there. Um, Next question. (laughs) 
We've all heard of that aha moment. Did you ever have an oh shit moment indicating you couldn't control your drinking? Yeah, the night that I went to jail. Yep. Yep. Gotcha. And next question, Amanda, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward? My plan is to continue to share my story, to give hope to others so that they too know that it don't matter what you've been through or what people have called you, you can be happy and you can be worthy of happiness. And what's the best advice you've ever received in regards to sobriety? My mentor told me that everything you go through isn't about you. Mm, I like that a lot. And what parting piece of advice can you give to those out there who are thinking about quitting drinking or are in early sobriety? I am here to tell you, my friends, that life is so beautiful whenever you feel whatever void you're filling with that alcohol, fill it with goodness and life is beautiful and you can have anything you want and you were born for a purpose. And listeners, Amanda, you have a YouTube channel. Am I correct on that? Yes, sir. Where can we find that at? It's called Patched Wings, like wings, but it's country slang because I'm from Mississippi. So Patched Wings, and I do, I share my story. I do motivational videos. I have my Redneck workout videos there in case, <laughs> I in love case it. you need a workout idea. I love it. And you, you, you're, you're writing a book and it just went to an editor, correct? That's correct. I'm writing my first book. It's been a process, but I, I'm just all about giving hope to the next person and sharing my story and helping others feel a lot of times we don't feel worthy, you know, and I just want everybody to know that they are worth so much more than they ever could imagine. What's the title of the book? So we haven't nailed down a specific title yet, but I have an acronym is CONNECT because I, I believe that once you connect your mind, body, and soul, and you connect to love and you connect to your purpose, I believe that's when you can live a happy life. I love it. And before we depart, give listeners your own customized You Might Be an Alcoholic if line. You might be an alcoholic if you duct tape two beer cans to your hands because you don't want to lose them. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that, 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 that works for sure. Amanda, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your time this morning with me. Uh, check out you know, the, her YouTube channel. And um, I look forward to hopefully seeing that, that book on some bookshelves one day and reading it. So thank you so much for joining us today, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. You keep up the good work, my brother. Thank you. On my way back from Thailand, after volunteering at Hope Rehab Clinic, I stopped at the Tokyo airport for a layover. In a newsstand was a National Geographic issue On the cover was a giant beer stein glass with the title booze on it. Now, I have a subscription to National Geographic, so I thought, well, I could spend the $15.95 right now, or I could wait for this to be delivered to my doorstep. Since I was facing a 13-hour flight, I decided to pick it up, and it was going to be a write-off. Thank you, Uncle Sam. Basically, the article is our love affair with alcohol and the historical findings of it. 
and how cultures shifted to find more alcohol, et cetera, et cetera. Oh yeah, they did include a short snippet of how some people can overdo it. Like myself, I was a little bit disappointed how they didn't go into more depth of how dangerous alcohol can be, but that's okay. Again, this podcast, it is not a diatribe against alcohol. If you can drink like a normal person, then drink one for me. Hell, drink 50 for me. But here's the interesting thing. When I came back home to America, I did see the National Geographic in my mailbox. However, on the cover were some playful seals underwater. I flipped through the table of contents, and yes, that article was in there on page 30. It was the first article in the National Geographic issue. However, why the covers were changed from Tokyo to America is baffling. Is it political? Are there marketing dollars behind that decision? I really don't know, but I thought I'd mention it on the podcast because it's definitely relevant. Alcohol kills more people than all the other drugs combined, yet it's not on the cover. Recently, in other covers of publications, we've seen how the epidemic of heroin overdoses is sweeping across the country. But you're not going to see on the cover booze. It's just not there. I found that finding striking, and I wanted to share it with you guys. So, recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. 